Welcome to the Quartering Podcast for Monday, the 16th of January. First up, Pfizer and Moderna just got busted colluding with big tech. We've got some new uh, interesting files uh, in terms of the poke companies uh, interfering directly, the pharmaceutical industry interfering directly with uh, Twitter, including and specifically called out by Pfizer. Now, I know there's a lot of fatigue here. I get that. But if you can, stay, stay with me here because this is a pretty big one too. Leave a like on the video. Make sure you share it. Get this out there. It's all building to something. This new piece from the Twitter files, how the pharmaceutical industry lobbied social media to shape context around poke policy. The push included direct pressure from Pfizer partner BioNTech to censor activists who demanded low-cost generic hoaxes for low-income countries. Well, you can't not make all the money. You know, obviously, you know, if you've been following the channel, you know that there's a lot going on with these, these evil, you know, poke companies. And I often lament how weird it is. Like, I distinctly remember being like 18 or 19, 20, the first time I could vote. I forget which, I might only, I might have been 20 the first time I could actually vote for president. But I remember like being, considering myself a liberal at that time and like hating pharmaceutical companies, hating censorship. And now it's like, that's a right wing thing. Isn't that weird? Anyway, in 2020, it was clear that the lockdowns will require rapid innovation. Early on, there was a push to make a solution equitable, an international partnership to share ideas, technology, new forms of medicine to rapidly solve the crisis. But global drug giants saw the crisis as an opportunity for unprecedented profit. Behind closed doors, pharma launched massive, a massive lobbying blitz to crush any effort to share patents slash IP for new COOF-related medicine, including therapeutics and pokes. Bio, BIO, the lobby group that represents Biopharma, including Moderna and Pfizer, wrote to the newly elected Biden administration, demanding the United States government sanction any country attempting to violate patent rights and create generic low-cost COOF medicine or pokes. That brings us to Twitter. So, you know, pharmaceutical companies being evil and profiteering, that's probably not as surprising. But now we see where Twitter gets involved. The global lobbying blitz included direct pressure on social media. BioNTech, which developed Pfizer's product, reached out to Twitter to request that Twitter directly censor users tweeting at them to ask for generic low-cost alternatives. Oh, this is in German. Great. Twitter's reps quickly responded to the farmer request. Of course they did. Which was also backed by the German government. A lobbyist in Europe asked the content moderation team to monitor the accounts of Pfizer, AstraZeneca, and of uh, and and of activist hashtags like people's poke we contact we, we got contacted by 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 BioNTech as well as the german federal office for information security for online campaign targeting the pharmaceutical companies developing the koof poke is announced for tomorrow monday 14th the authorities are warning about ser quotation serious consequences of the action i.e. posts and flood comments that may violate TOS as well as takeover of user accounts are to be expected, especially the personal accounts of the management of the poke manufacturers are said to be targeted. Accordingly, fake accounts could also be set up. The German authorities also refer to the source amongst others, its permissible campaign under which users may send auto-populated tweets. You can't possibly get in, in the way of Pfizer's profit. The potential, quote, fake accounts that Twitter monitored for protesting Pfizer 
These were real people. Here's one the Twitter team flagged for potential terms of service violations. I talked to Terry, a 74-year-old retired bricklayer in the UK on the phone. It's not clear what actions Twitter ultimately took on this particular request. Several Twitter employees noted in subsequent messages that none of this activism constituted TOS violation, but the company continued monitoring tweets in a separate push. And I think it's also important to point out that we've seen this before. Twitter were like, they say, oh, there's no violative content at this time. And then the account magically gets poofed off the planet of the earth months later. Because once you're under their eye, so to speak, uh, bad things always seem to happen. In a separate push, Pfizer and Moderna lobbying group, Bio, fully funded a special content moderation campaign designed by a contractor called Public Good Projects, which worked directly with Twitter to set content moderation rules around the COOF misinformation, air quotes if you're just listening. Bio provided $1.275 million to the campaign, part of which is revealed through tax forms. The PGP campaign called Stronger helped Twitter create content moderation bots, which uh, select which public health accounts got verification and helped crowdsource content takedowns. Again, we saw, you know, just how often, you know, somebody was removed off the platform or banned or, you know, added a context misinformation tag and ultimately ended up being correct, right? Science is evolving, but not at the expense of money for Pfizer. Many of the tweets the bio-funded campaign focused on were truly unhinged misinformation, like claims that the product contained microchips, but others stronger lobbied Twitter on were more of a gray area, like poke passports and mandates, policies that coerce getting the poke. So yes, there was some genuine misinformation, but you can see there's also people who are talking about the, remember the passports, the, the poke passports that were never going to happen? Mm-hmm. The Moderna Pfizer funded campaign included direct regular emails with lists of tweets to take down and others to verify. Here's an example of those type of emails that went straight to Twitter lobbyists and content moderators. Many focused, in fact, on Zero Hedge, which, of course, was suspended at the time. You see, this is misinformation and verification request. Please see the attached week, this week's misinfo report, along with a batch. This is all about protecting their profit, by the way. And the fact that, the fact that Twitter even had this open line of communication with drug companies is sickening. Why? Probably because Pfizer spent a ton of money. By the way, written by... Someone who, of course, has pronouns in their bio. We saw people opposed to the poke are capitalizing on the New York Times article about the CDC withholding poke information. The articles do not contain misinformation themselves, but they're using the news to further prove the CDC is untrustworthy. So, by the way, why is it your, why is it your job to do that? Notably, this massive push to censor and label COOF misinformation never applied to drug companies when Big Pharma wildly exaggerated the risks of creating low-cost generic COOF products. Stronger did nothing. The rules applied only to critics of the industry. You see this tweet here. The biopharma sector employs 900,000 workers and supports 4.4 million U.S. jobs. Those jobs would be at risk if we sell, if there is a low cost alternative for people. I mean, absolutely. And Lee Fang fin finishes with here my reported piece with more details. Given some access to Twitter emails, I agreed to sign nothing. Twitter had no input on anything I wrote. I mean, it's absolutely insane that you had Pfizer. I mean, I guess everyone's like by now. Everyone's just like, yeah, Jeremy, we know. Yeah, we know. But you had Pfizer and Moderna directly telling Twitter, you know, 
hey, you got to you got to police the speech of these American citizens. And we're going to say they're bots, even though a simple phone call would prove they're not absolutely disgusting. Will we get any any justice here? I sure hope so. And next up today, Joe Rogan blasted by Howard Stern and cowardly Neil Young after Spotify boycott failed miserably. It's been a while since we talked about Joe Rogan making any kind of uh, waves in the news cycle. He's had a few uh, bizarre tweets that he promoted that ended up being fake. That was a bad look for him. But largely, he's basically remained out of the controversial limelight. But the other day, his old buddy Neil Young went on to Howard Stern. Now, these are two individuals that are super rich. And uh, at least one of them has been widely reported, Howard Stern that is, as like too afraid to leave his own house. The man like lives in his house. He doesn't leave. He's got weird rules for people that come over because he's so afraid of this coof, just so afraid of it. He, like he's living in a prison. Uh, now, one of the nicest prisons on the planet, but still a prison nonetheless. Now, after uh, about a year now, Neil Young has gone out and he's been coping and seething that his boycott didn't work. One year on, why did Neil Young's Spotify boycott fail to catch on? First thing mentioning is that the boycott was the product of what appeared to be a personal feud. The most, the most successful boycotts, protests, and movements tend to be the reaction to a problem shared by a large number of people who have previously not been granted an opportunity to speak. The Me Too movement being a recent example. Though misinformation is certainly a problem, few people regard it as a tangible threat. Um... Young was already an established artist. Essentially, Neil Young was butthurt. He wanted to pull his music off of Spotify because Joe Rogan dared to threaten the Koof orthodoxy. By the way, we now are a year removed from this boycott uh, or his potential threat to boycott. And it seems like a lot has changed, hasn't it? A lot has changed. But it actually turns out... Now, the, the boycott didn't exactly go that bad. I mean, uh, that it did have an effect. Joe Rogan reveals Spotify deal was almost pulled during his biggest controversy. When Joe Rogan first announced that he was taking his podcast to Spotify, plenty of fans were wary of the move with concerns, including the lack of video player, no more YouTube clips, and whether or not Spotify would have creative control. Rogan's massive deal meant he, could, he was able to get a few things addressed pretty quickly, as the platform implemented videos, but the exclusivity and control by Spotify always loomed large. None more so than when he created the storm of the controversial gas he had had on during the global health situation. At the time, Spotify CEO's Daniel Ek compared Rogan's content to rappers, noting that they wouldn't censor him. Uh, however, a number of episodes from his back catalog were removed. It was that topic that Dave Portnoy brought up when he was a guest on episode 1920 of the JRE. Well, the people at Spotify weren't concerned. There were a couple of people, like tech people, that were upset, Rogan said, noting that there were complaints about misinformation and Spotify was apprehensive about some guests. There was a lot of pressure from advertisers. There was a lot of pressure from different people. Artists like Neil Young and Joni Mitchell pulled their music. It was touch and go. Rogan said his relationship with Spotify has always been great and praise him for standing by him. The GRE host has ultimately continued to have similar guests on the show that has sparked initial outrage as the pressure to sever the deal has died down. I mean, you know, ultimately, he's, I mean, people are paying a ton of money to get access to his podcast. His viewers are, ex are extremely loyal. I'm sure that they spend all the money that Spotify could possibly uh, want. It's funny though that you know it took Joe Rogan, who you know essentially is as big as it gets. Um, I guess Caller Daddy is another one that's pretty popular on on Spotify, um, but he, only he could have withstood this kind of uh, amount of backlash. And then you have uh, Neil Young going on Howard Stern and whining. Um, you know, he's trying to big time Joe Rogan here on Howard Stern. Spotify has a uh, podcast where they're putting out information about a vaccine. You are on Spotify. You make a lot.
Now remember, Howard Stern is one of the biggest uh, uh, big pharma cucks on the planet. A lot of money off of Spotify because your music is one of the most streamed artists of all time. You say, wait a second, Spotify, do not put shows on that put out false information about the COVID vaccine. But you didn't stop there. You took your music off of Spotify. Howard, I woke up one morning and somebody, I heard somebody saying there was some scientists were saying something about COVID or some doctors. And, and uh, they were saying something about COVID and how many people were dying in the hospitals and, and, and misinformation. And you see all the nurses and everything. And these people are with these people who are dying. I mean, they're, this is. It's funny that, by the way, that again, that the, the attempted big time here, hold on. Their life. They're, they're, that's what they do. They try to save people. So these people were distressed by the fact that Spotify was doing this uh, misinformation with, with some show they had. Some show they had. You mean the biggest podcast on the planet? You mean the biggest podcast on the planet? And I, I listened to it, and, I, and, and they were saying he purposely is saying this stuff that he knows isn't true. Uh, do you have any evidence of that, Neil Young? Who's they, by the way? They are saying that he purposely put out this information. Who's they? You also put here, Myth Informed. Welcome back to Twitter, by the way, Myth Informed. Neil Young is claiming that Joe Rogan was purposely lying to his audience, which resulted in them passing away from the coof. You'd think he would at least remember the doctor's names that convinced him of this. It's utter nonsense. Like, he doesn't remember the doctors who told him this. He doesn't remember... This, but he knows that Joe Rogan definitely was lying on purpose. And I just want to remind you whose show he's on here. He's on Howard Stern's show. This is a man that said people who don't have the pokes should be banned from hospitals. I wonder how his heart's doing. See this on January 19th episode of the show, the Howard Stern show, the hospitals, blah, blah, blah. He said the hospital should not admit patients who are unpoked. Stern has often used his radio show to speak out against, again, they, a variety says it's anti-pokers. It's just people who don't have it. Like, for example, I don't have it, but I don't speak out against it. I don't tell people what they should and shouldn't do with their bodies. I have all my other pokes, right? Like whatever you get as a kid or whatever you get when you get to college and stuff. I have all that stuff. I just didn't want this particular one. You know what? Maybe things change a couple years past. We figure out some of the side effects possible. Whatever these, all these people are suddenly passing away. We figure that out. Maybe I would get it one day, but like right now, again, I am not against them, but I'm against rushing into injecting something into my body, which is by the way, a liberal, like I thought liberal said that it was my body, my choice. People have been told that you will pass away if you get it. Some will live but most of you will die. These people don't trust our government. Good. This, I remember, remember that Howard Stern is a guy that, you know, is a guy that used to fight the power. He now lives in fear. Like he now lives in complete fear. Uh, he's been working. He's a people who don't wear masks are out of their minds. Again, this is a guy that has been in lockstep with the United States government and the CDC shame, and, and gone so far as to shame individuals for making their own personal health decisions. I mean, you get, you get this clown, you know, and by the way, I love Neil Young, his music. Love it. Doesn't really change. I kind of had to make that, I kind of had to make that realization because, you know, a lot of my favorite musicians are, are definitely uh, liberals and they all kind of drink the Kool-Aid. You see here, people at Spotify, you know, the fact that they weren't concerned, I don't know if it was touch and go there for a while. I mean, that was Neil Young, the full weight of Neil Young and all the advertisers. And guess what? They just, they just, they just went away. Like all the pressure just went away and everybody went back to living their lives. But if Howard Cern had his way, you wouldn't, you would be disallowed any kind of medical advice or medical treatment because you chose to maybe wait on getting the poke. That's who this guy is. 
And next up today, Epic Woke Backfire MLK statue his family blasts woke artist for $10 million waste. Absolutely hilarious story from over the weekend. Uh, there was a $10 million statue erected <laughs> uh, in apparently Martin Luther King's honor, except, well, it didn't exactly turn out that way. In fact, it looks like a dong. Or perhaps uh, some, something else comes to mind. And it's absolutely just the perfect encapsulation of modern activism. $10 million in a city full of homeless people, by the way. Uh, and I'm going to share with you exactly what it looks like. I'm going to show maybe the reveal here. Uh, we, get, we got... Uh, there, there's a good shot of it. What is this? $10 million. Even the family of Martin Luther King Jr. mocked it. Again, $10 million that was probably paid by the taxpayers. I thought we were taking statues down, by the way. Is that not, are we still not doing that? I thought we were taking statues down. Even some kin of Coretta Scott King hate the new $10 million sculpture, sculpture just dedicated to her and her iconic civil rights leader husband in Boston, with the, a cousin claiming that it looks like a ween. The massive bronze piece titled The Embrace features two sets of arms holding each other, an artistic interpretation of the classic photo of Coretta and Martin Luther King hugging after he won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. The mainstream, quote, the mainstream media was reporting on it like it was all beautiful because they were told they had to say that, Seneca Scott, Coretta's cousin, told the Post by phone on Sunday, referring to the new artwork in the Boston Comet. But when it came out, our little boy pointed at it and said, that's a peen! And everyone was like, yo, that's a big old dong, man. Said the 43-year-old Oakland, California resident. Oh, I love this. I love, I love. If you had showed that statue to anyone in the hood, they'd be like, no, absolutely not. I mean, look at this picture. What on earth were they thinking? $10 million. He then added scornfully to the compact to compact magazine, $10 million were wasted to create a masturbatory metal home homage to my legendary family members. One of the all time greatest American families. Seneca told the post that woke culture allowed the expensive abstract experiment to come to fruition. Members of the King family last week unveiled the artwork near where MLK and Coretta first met in college. Martin Luther King III approved the piece, which was designed by conceptual artist Hank Willis Thomas for the organization Embrace Boston. Again, $10 million. The artwork's funding was the result of a public slash private funding partnership the city of Boston set on its online site. Okay, so public and private fundraising. It's unclear how much public money had gone to the sculpture. Well, at least some. Quote, when we reorganize that all storytelling is an abstraction, all representation is an abstraction, hopefully it allows us to be more dynamic and complex and forms of representation that don't stick us to the narrative that oversimplifies a person and their legacy. And I think this work really tries to get the heart of it. The artist says on their website, literally what? But Seneca told the post, the woke algorithm is just broke. Hell yeah. I don't know what else to tell you. If you went on, if you went through all of that and that's what you came up with, something's wrong, he said. Online critics were harsh too, including some who agreed that the work was spicy. This is awful, British rapper and podcaster Zuby added to the tweet. Uh, Seneca's grandfather was one of 25 children of Jeff Scott, the son of a slave who became an Alabama's wealthiest, 
one of Alabama's wealthiest black landowners. Seneca said his grandfather, Obadiah, fathered Coretta, whom Seneca said he once met at a family reunion before her 2006 passing. Seneca told the Post that while he couldn't speak for other members of the family, he felt the 25-foot-wide, 65,000-pound sculpture was a waste of money that should be melted down. A bronze, a solid bronze statue? Like, what are we doing here? It's doubly insulting to the black community who still, on average, too many of us are below the poverty line. Yeah, I can't imagine, you know, really embracing this thing when you're talking about $10 million that could have went to the black community, that could have went to helping people in need, to have a thing that looks like a turd. You're spending $10 million on a brand bronze statue with no heads on it? Man, it's a joke, Seneca said. The best way to observe Martin Luther King Jr. Day on Monday was through action. No performative, no photo ops. Put your phone down and go on an act of service that no one knows about. Based. I agree. <laughs> Some of the comments. Public art should be legible. A person looking at this piece cannot tell who the subjects are or what they are being honored for. It's just as well an abstract interpretation of a person playing Twister. It's a shame that this artist, Hank Williams Thomas, felt compelled to make something terrible. I mean, a tribute to MLK should have been better than this. I see why there's so many upset people. If one person deserves the very best tribute, it's Dr. Martin Luther King. I mean, I think that, well, first of all, I mean, there's probably enough statues for, for MLK. Like, I'm guessing that every state has, you know, a half dozen different MLK statues in it. So I'm not exactly sure that, you know, an additional... $10 million statue is going to change anything or going to add any additional complex, you know, uh, um, provenance or, um, excitement. And like some of these, some of the comments are just absolutely hilarious, hilarious. Many took particular issue with the fact that the Kings were not even depicted in full. Given that I am not white, I am safe from any charges of racism for saying that the MLK embrace statue is aesthetically unpleasant. The famous photo should have been a full statue of the couple in their embrace. What a huge swing and a miss in honoring Dr. M and Mrs. King. Sad, tweeted Boston Herald, columnist Rashid and Walters. Show me a white man that was honored with a statue of only two of his limbs, tweeted comedian J Javon Jones. I don't know, by the way, who the artist is, if they're black or not. Um, I suppose that's probably pretty easy to, to determine. Uh, let's actually look because... The idea that I'm guessing that they were, I'd be, I'd be willing to bet that they were. Um, Hank William Willis Tom Thomas. Yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking they are black. Conceptual art is based in Berkeley, Ber uh, Brooklyn. So, I mean, what's your excuse, dude? Like, you really thought that this was. Yikes. I mean, $10.5 million. Who spent, who spent this money? Who the hell thought this was a good idea? I mean, some of these comments see the MLK statue looks like looks obscene from certain angles. But when you see the whole thing, you realize it's supposed to depict the result of Martin Luther King Jr. and Coretta Scott King having gone through the teleporter in the fly together, tweeted Daily Wire's Frank J. Fleming. Many others, though, cracked more spicy jokes about what they saw as a provocative assembly of hard-to-identify body parts. Coretta King's cousin, Seneca Scott, blasted the artwork in an essay for the online journal Compact, where he called it a, a terrible homage to my family. For my family, it's rather insulting. $10 million wasted. We know about, I mean, yeah, I mean, $10 million. Who the heck is this? I mean, who is this for? And, and why did they exactly think that this was going to work? Absolutely hilarious, epic fail. Congratulations, woke people.
And next up, SJW YouTuber Andrew Callahan busted in wild claims by multiple women. All gas, no brakes. Generally, I think it's fair game, or it's it's a fair play to give someone the benefit of the doubt, even if they are ideologically opposed to you. I think that uh, that's a, a level of good faith that you don't normally see coming from the left. But in this particular case, Mm, this um, young social justice male feminist, uh, proud, uh, proud Marxist guy or whatever, allegedly I don't know. He's, he's a social justice guy. Uh, turns out to be a repeat offender uh, by using the tried and true leftist tactic of whining until women sleep with them. I'm not kidding you. That's right. YouTube journalist Andrew Callahan, who's popular from all gas, no brakes, which is, you know, some level left-wing reporting, or I guess, you know, that good for him. He's very popular, 2 million subscriber YouTube channel, did some on-the-ground work, good for him. Uh, you know, obviously uh, edited curiously, but nonetheless, uh, an, an interesting career. Well, it turns out he's a huge creep. YouTube journalist Andrew Callahan has broken his silence on claims that he subjected multiple women to unwanted advances. Though he added that some of the things said about him are not true. Why is it always these people? It's like that tried and true uh, meme about being a male feminist and then you're just like blending in and it turns out. I mean, here's, here's what like, I don't really want to make too many jokes about this. The actual details of his behavior is is so embarrassing. It's almost worse than being known as like a pest. Now you might be thinking, how could that be, right? Oh, just wait. The details are so cringely, soy pathetic. Begging women, just begging them on his hands and knees to lie with them. Absolute pathetic behavior. YouTube journalist has broken his silence. Earlier in January, a woman named Caroline Elise released a TikTok video in which she claimed that Callahan, host of the YouTube channel, Channel 5, quote, wore her down with requests for uh, tender time while staying at his house. This is the best part. Well, it's, you know, it's the most ironic part. It's even more hard to relive the trauma that I endured every single day by seeing this man as a social justice warrior. They're using that term unironically in a positive sense. As someone who cares about human rights, get a platform. She said in a now deleted video, you shouldn't be supporting him. Now I want to point out here, wearing someone down, if you still ultimately consented, I'm not sure... Again, this is where I'm trying to be fair, right? In this particular claim. So this guy, look at his, yeah, he looks like a guy that begs for it too. Like, oh, please, baby. Oh, please. And then you consent. That's not really, your mistake does not retract consent. All you had to do was say no. But I wasn't there, right? Days later, another woman named Dana, a legend in a TikTok video of her own, that this place rules filmmaker Callahan had pressured her into hooking up, stating, I told him to stop. I told him to get off of me multiple times. Now that's a little more nefarious, right? Like him whining and complaining until you finally give in to him. That's just pathetic. But this is a little more, you know, a little more suspicious and nefarious. A legal representative of Callahan said in a statement to TMZ, Andrew is devastated that he is being uh, blamed for any type of coercion against anyone. Conversations about pressure and consent are extremely important, and Andrew wants to have these conversations so he can continue to learn and grow. Cringe. All right? It's always these people. Um, now, he posted a video to YouTube in which he is, he claims he never stepped over the line, um, but perhaps that's a different story. 
they link to a different story there. The, the, the apology video is perhaps even more embarrassing. Look, more women have now come forward and he's already released an apology. Now, of course, on January 8th, TikTok star, let's take a look here. Now, why did they delete the video? Why did they delete the video? Interesting. He pressured her into hooking up. Apparently, he told her that he'd had a falling out with his camera crew and needed a place to sleep. She invited him into her apartment, but said that she didn't want to hook up. However, much later in the evening, she claims that he went into her bedroom, according to Elise, and wore her down. Then the two hooked up. What made it more infuriating for Elise is that she used to watch... She had to watch Callahan pretending to be a social justice warrior in the public. You can see this. Some of these details, of course, you know, you see another TikToker, Dana, released a video response saying that she had experienced something similar. After we got into my car, he started advancing towards me, touching me, uh, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to go with that. So I couldn't really move out of that position. He was holding me tightly, proceeded to put, well, to go too far. I told him to stop. I told him to get off me multiple times. Um, and he said, you could at least S my D not a good look really cr like, golly, man, like what in the heck, like how pathetic, by the way, didn't even upload this to a main channel. Like, a, like, you know, like a true hero, he uploaded his in response video to a channel, not even like really remotely popular, just a personal YouTube channel. Now, of course, the internet found it, but again, not exactly taking responsibility. Um, a couple of conversations had around this, the whole like power dynamic thing. In terms of likes to dislike ratio, um, you know, it looks like it's mostly positive. 11,000 up with only 1.7 thousand down. People are just too willing to accept creeps like that, this into their inner fold. Now, this is not one, but two, but I guess three now um, that he's starting therapy and AA. Why is this? Why do the people just like get to, to say, oh, I'm just going to therapy. Oh, I'll just forgiven. I guess there's probably no cr like actual literal crime here because, you know, both women seemingly agreed to it. He says one name, one woman uh, under the pseudonym Char Charlotte told she went on a coffee date at 18 at an apartment afterward, he wasn't taking a simple no for an answer. Consequently, it turned into me trying to make up an array of excuses of why I didn't want to hook up. Seattle's The Stranger also reported similar claims against Alan. There seems like several. After initial claims, Callan's lawyers responded on Thursday. It's always honest when a lawyer responds. After Rolling Stone's story published Friday, Callahan addressed the claims directly in a four-minute YouTube video. He's always taken no for an answer as far as consent, but he wants to have more nuance and important conversation about power dynamics. So I guess what he's what what the left is saying here is that oh it's 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 bad because you're a, a public figure and you and you took advantage of that by you know using it to meet women and hook up with them. I don't even got I don't really have a lot of time with, for that. These women, like, stop infantilizing women and acting like they don't have any kind of agency or control on who they sleep with. Th this narrative from the left is that, like, oh, my God, they subscribed to your content, so they just had to sleep with you. That's ridiculous. Now, I will also say, though, that, like, content creators laying with their fans is cringe. Like, uh, and, and like, but, you know, I'm not going to say that the woman or man or whatever in the other cases, like, the power dynamic thing, I don't really buy that. You ultimately control your own decisions in life, whether or not you're a fan of someone's content or, you know, you're, we used to call them groupies, right? Back in the day, these women that went backstage and hooked up with the bands, you think they're victims? I mean, that, that's the same dynamic that they're talking about, right? Except it's a cringe content creator instead of a musician. The idea that, you know, an, yet another woman... One woman went on a Tinder date with the popular All Gas No Breaks Channel 5 host says he wasn't taking no for an answer. 
Now, eventually, though, he said that he got the message and the two never spoke again. But she did say the incident left her feeling disrespected. He wasn't taking no for an answer. It consequently turned into me trying to make up brave excuses. He kept insisting that I needed, to, I needed to get him off because I was giving him blue balls by not hooking up with him. This guy's just, I mean, pathetic, right? Like, imagine trying to guilt or pressure somebody into that kind of act. I mean, that's just pathetic. You know, over the years, Charlotte privately told people who shared Callahan's content on social media, uh, saying they tried to make him do, make her do things that she didn't want to do. And another friend in 2020, Callahan really was uh, inappropriate, according to screen grabs and screen recordings viewed by Rolling Stone. Charlotte's ex-boyfriend, whom she told about the encounter with Callan in 2016, tells Rolling Stone that Charlotte told him that Callan was kind of aggressive. Again, these are not crimes. Um, the guy's just a creep. Other women have come forward in their own experiences with Callahan, alleging they felt coerced or pressured into performing various acts with him. As previously reported by Rolling Stone, one of these women, Dana, who goes by the handle, oh, I wonder why they want, like, well, you know, couldn't possibly want clout, alleged in a video that Callan had touched her and told him to stop. I told him to get off me. Um, and again, eventually he left the car. So he's probably telling the truth about taking no for an answer. He's just really sad and pathetic. But that's what you get with these uh, lefty boyos. You know, it's usually the ones that project that end up with the deepest. And I'm sure there'll be more. You know, he gets and the left will let him off, by the way. The thing about the left is as long as you have the correct politics, you're always valuable to them. Um, no matter what you do, this guy will not lose a single thing. He'll be totally fine. That's my prediction anyway. And last up today, the Velma disaster just got way worse. SJW is now blaming conservatives. The disaster that is the Velma series continues to, the dumpster fire really just continues to smolder and it's, it's becoming, it's getting a life of its own. And I just, I'm just here for it. I, I'm just so happy that this is happening because, well, we knew the show was going to be hot garbage, but we didn't know that it would be so hot garbage that even the left would turn against it. And now they've had these bizarre conspiracy theories that really Velmo is a psyop created by the right wing to make the left wing look, they are coping in such an unimaginable way that I'm just so happy to be able to share it with you. Velma currently has a 7% audience score on Rotten Tomatoes and fans are not happy. The spin-off series dropped on the streaming platform earlier this week with the likes of Mindy Kaling as Velma, Constant Wood voicing Daphne, Sam Richardson doing the same for Shaggy. Wait, Shaggy? I thought his name was Norbert. Anyway, according to its creators, Velma serves as an origin story for Mystery Inc. with a heavy focus on Velma Dinkley. In the 10-part series, Velma tries to solve a mystery regarding her missing mom while also investigating numerous other crimes along the way. Blah, 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 blah. After watching the first two episodes, many viewers have taken to Twitter to voice their opinion. One person said, can we stop letting people that don't respect the original media get a hold of it and ruin it? This is what happens now. So they've been doing this to like masculine heroes forever. For years and years. Now, what's happening is the left's heroes are getting sacrileged by the left. A second added, it feels like Velma's writing room had one funny person in it, surrounded by a bunch of AI script generators that were fed exclusively bad video essays and Riverdale scripts. The occasional slightly funny line drowned up by a sea of awful sludge. A third simply said, the Velma show looks so awful but that's just not even it the internet now it's got it's gotten so bad that the internet has turned against mindy kaling over a bad me too joke in velma god i just love this so much don't you all love this so much this might be like the wokest backfire of a of a of a like a reboot yet i mean she hulk was pretty bad i think we all can admit that but Velma is like universally hated. You can see this Bill Mars hairline. Mindy Kaling is an anti-woman piece of S. Whoa. Whoa. 
The joke is, exactly, I spit the truth without a filter. Like every comedian before hashtag me too. Actually based? Actually based? It's hard to imagine how this appeals to anyone other than people who are still fans of Louis C.K. I'm a fan of Louis C.K. To be honest, though, that also summarizes the show. Kimberly Terasaki writes from the Mary Sue. I feel like I could enjoy an Amanda Seyfried, Evan Rachel Wood remake of Thelma and Louise, but a musical? Earlier this week, has only been a week, Hasbro pissed off the D&D community. We obviously talked about that uh, earlier. And, and uh, I'm sorry, earlier in a different video. But this, I mean... I get it. Like it's it's good to me, but that actually dialogue actually ring, rings true. Of course, Mindy Kaling claims Velma is an icon for young gay women in promotion of HBO's Velma series. At a press session New York Comic Con via Popverse, Kaling first explained the show is supposed to be scary and is aimed at adults. This is a scary show, she said. I think we've been inspired with a lot more scary teen shows as of late, which is why the show is for adults. She also indicated that the show is inspired by Spider inspired by Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse, especially when it came to modernizing and race swapping. She stated, "Why not make the character Indian?" Well, yeah, because you're Indian, right? Like the modern self-insert is already cringe and like and pathetic, but like Literally nobody doesn't doesn't see that that's what this is, right? She also indicated the show is inspired. Okay, so why don't we try that? Why not make the character Indian? We've been so inspired by Into the Spider-Verse, seeing these other characters that can embody the spirit of these iconic franchises. Why don't we try that? We love Scooby-Doo so much, we're going to honor it. The last thing anybody wants for their beloved franchise is for a modern leftist to honor it. Or for it to be reimagined. There's nothing worse than that. She continued, there's a lot of representation of Indian American girls in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s in animation. And so there is not, sorry. And so I loved about the character. She's the closest to what I can see. Smart A student, thick glasses that are always falling off, and skeptical. You mean you view yourself as a genius, underappreciated, and so you self-inserted. I mean, could it be more cringy? Velma showrunner Charlie Grandy confirmed the show was also aimed at adults, revealing at New York Comic Con, we always wanted to do as an adult animation. And for me, I love Scooby-Doo as a kid, but it also scared me. I was scared very easily. I don't remember Scooby-Doo being scary. It was always a goof. Like the, the, the guy, they were, the characters weren't even genuinely scared, it didn't seem like. Kaling further testified on the choice to make it animated for adults. We've loved what people have done with their own versions of it. We felt it was a really interesting, fun way to make a different choice. So he's totally on a live stream eating, eating shrimp chips. He's just like us. And like, of course, you get Velma and Daphne are, are lesbians. Yay, of course. Otherwise, it would be homophobic. But now, the coup de grace. The best of the best. This via Paul Tassi, of all people. Velma is so bad, it spawned PSYOP conspiracy theories. Yesterday, HBO Max bragged that Velma, the new Scooby-Doo cartoon, was its most viewed animated preview ever. Premiere, sorry. I'm not sure precisely what that says, given that the only other Max original animated series you can even think of is Harley Quinn, plus a bunch of really other old series from WB Discovery. But, people are certainly talking about Velma. This much is true, just not so very positively. Velma currently has the lowest, lowest audience score I've seen for an HBO or HBO Max production, a 7%. To get that low requires not just review brigading, but your show also likely has to be genuinely bad. And it is. Velma is very, very bad. Velma is so bad, in fact, it's spawning conspiracy theories that creator Mindy Kaling made what is essentially a parody of what the right wing thinks left-wing comedy is. As in, a show that is not just recast most roles with new races, but also features loads and loads of white guys, am I right, jokes. I mean, it does, though. 
The idea that Kaling is secretly a conservative force in media trying to make the left look bad by making cringy cartoons full of the rich white guy has a small dong jokes that the right can point at everything wrong with race recasted social justice influence media. I mean that I've heard copes before even I've coped, but this is a cope like this tweet. The showrunner of Velma, Mindy Kaling is both a transphobe and said you couldn't make the office stay because cancel culture. She's a fellow reactionary. She deliberately made Velma suck. So the culture war YouTubers could make millions of videos about it and boost its SEO. What? I don't want to go down the big rabbit hole about Minnie Kaling's personal beliefs and influences here. And yet, if it wasn't the intent of the show, it sure feels like it in practice. On one side, it absolutely is working to spark mockery from the right, exactly as you would imagine it would. But on the other, it's not just it's it's just not defensible at all by those who would normally welcome a progressive series. Take She-Hulk, for example. That was a hugely controversial show, and it was very explicit about roasting misogynistic comic fans perhaps often lacking in subtlety, but I would still very much defend that show. And I think it's humor, a fourth wall breaking works. And for most of the people who are upset about very people that it's overtly making fun of for being upset about it. Velma is not that. Velma is not defensible by any stretch of the imagination. It's just bad. Making progressive jokes are fine as long as the jokes are good. They are not good. I heard the show described somewhere as a series written by TV writers who's only ever talked to other TV writers. And that's a pretty good summary. And the idea here that it's so bad at landing its jabs at right-wingers that it almost feels like self-sabotage. I mean, if I've ever heard of a cope, I mean that, if you've ever seen a cope before, this is the biggest cope in history. I hope you enjoyed this video. If you get a chance, head on over to coffeebrandcoffee.com today using promo code thequartering on anything that's not for sale or on sale, but if you want to try a peppermint cocoa, and I think you do, make sure you pick it up today. I think we only have like two or 300 left and that they'll probably sell today. So pick that up. Um, otherwise, we also have a couple of Christmas blend coffees on sale right now. The white chocolate cranberry, uh, the eggnog. These are the, just a few left in stock of these. Um, of course, the regular flavors of coffee, tea, and cocoa are here for you as well. I hope you enjoyed this video. We'll talk to you again real soon.